Welcome to the School Business Leadership Podcast. I'm so excited to share this episode with you as my guest generally keeps a low profile. However, today she has been 10% braver and joined me on the show and she has a lot to say. Her SBL journey spans 30 years and what she has accomplished during that time is truly inspirational. Let's put it this way, you are in for a real treat. Let's dive in. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Margaret Johnson. Margaret is Director of Business Operations in a secondary school in North London. She's had a varied and colourful career working in insurance, advertising, a recording studio and the brewing industry before settling on education. This year is actually her 30th year in the sector, having undertaken roles such as admin assistant, admin supervisor, PA to the head, admin manager, clerk to the governing body and school business manager. She grew up in Trinidad and Tobago before immigrating in 1977 and she is amazed she ended up in education having hated school and swearing she would never step foot in a school again once she had left. Today, Margaret is joining me to talk about her school business leadership journey and to share her advice for school business leaders. Welcome, Margaret. Hello, Laura. It's lovely to be here with you today and hopefully I can impart some advice to aspiring school business leaders uh, and also those who are already in the profession. As as you said, Laura, my, my journey into school business management has been quite um, a long one. I'm in my 30th year and I'm surprised that I have entered into another school because my own experience of school was not positive, but it was a deliberate decision of mine to go into education because I felt that my own experience was so poor I wanted to give back and make Mm. other children's experience a little bit more positive. I did think about training as a teacher but unfortunately at that stage in my life um, it wasn't possible for me to go down that route so I thought well I'll take my skills and do a bit of transferal of what I had into the environment I wanted to work in. And I recall very well my interview with the deputy head. And later on, about a year later, he he did say to me he wasn't sure who was being interviewed, whether um, I was interviewing him or he was interviewing me. And that's Mm -hmm. interesting and that's very important. And possibly one of the main pieces of advice that I would give to aspiring school business leaders, that they really do their research into what they're going into because it's not something that you will want. You, You need a lot of stamina and you do need to have that commitment. But... I'll just go go way back, and I think it's about 30 years ago when I first stepped into the school, and my first response was, oh, my God, have I made uh, a mistake? Because in all my career, I've never felt as though my profession was not acknowledged or wasn't recognized as being important. However... I was determined that I was not going to be treated like a second-class profession. And fortunately for me, I had Mm. the the backing of the head teacher who really wanted to make some changes. And so here I am 30 years later. 
When I started, and this is going back to way 1991, um, and I think some teachers now at the school were born in 1991. God help me. Um, <laughs> I started. <laughs> I started as an admin assistant, and I couldn't. I couldn't get my head around not being not being able to take responsibility for my own work and it all had to go through a third party and I thought no I can't be doing with this so the wheels and started moving to 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 change that and then I was made admin supervisor and further down the line I became the PA to the head and then the admin manager at the same time, I was still being PA to the head, and then I started as clerk to the governing body, still being PA to the head and admin manager. So you could say that at the same time, I was juggling three roles. Mm. How I did it, I have no idea. And now I'm the director of business operations. I have no idea how I managed to juggle all those roles. I suppose you could put it down to youth determination and knowing exactly what you wanted. But as I moved from role to role, I knew there were certain things I had to learn, I had to develop in. And so I I took every training opportunity that I c- could grab. Most of them were free, some were paid for by the school. But I I I didn't just stop there because Along as I moved along, I needed to make sure that my first introduction into the education environment and that, oh my God, have I made a mistake, should never happen. And Mm. so I started the wheels, put the wheels in motion to make sure that there was a respect for each other's profession. And working with the head teacher who gave me quite a lot of support along the way. One of the very first things I I did was to make sure that I and my colleagues had a presence in the school. We contributed to things that were happening in the school. And also to make sure that we had a face. We weren't just the support staff. And that started my journey in changing how people thought of us. At the time, the main office area was called the general office. And I thought, we're not a packing office. Mm. We're an administration office. And so I changed the name to the administration office, of course, with the support of the head teacher. And, of course, teachers couldn't quite understand that, particularly those who were there for a long time, still calling it the general office. But they eventually got the idea and I started to have a little input into the school newsletter and we were then classified as the engine room of the school, which when you think about it, the the administration office, the, the school, what the school business leader does, business manager leader does, is that they they are the engine room of the school. All those cogs that need to spin to allow the teachers to teach can't happen as smooth as they do without that support there and without all those things happening. 
It has been a long journey, and it has been a journey to try and get my colleagues to recognize that what they do is a profession. It's different from teaching, but it's a profession. Not all the professions are the same. Some bought into the idea, and some didn't. But it was a journey of changing the mindsets of my colleagues. And when you are trying to do that, it takes time. So I campaigned long and hard. And I campaigned long and hard to change how we were seen. And one of the things that I did do is that I felt that the terminology, and it's used I know very widely by the DFE, the terminology for us as a collective support staff, I felt needed to change so that there was that recognition of our profession. And I negotiated and liaised with the governing body, with the school, and now collectively we are classified as associate staff and not just the support staff. And my argument behind that is that we all bring in an expertise which is important to the school. So you may have a data manager, you may have an HR manager, you may have a a site and premises uh, person, you have a school business manager, you may have a mentor, you may have a lead teaching assistant. All these are classified in the DFE's mind as as support staff, but we're all professionals and I and I feel we're not just there supporting, we are professionals. So we changed the terminology to associate staff. You talk there, you talk about changing mindset and like you say, culture, it takes time. How long did that process take you? That process took me um I would say a good Uh, 10 years. It took a long time. And it's interesting you should say that because I remember going into talking to other colleagues and I was sharing with them some of the things that I was doing. And they were absolutely stunned as to say, well, how could you do that? And my response was, well, I just did it. (laughs) Um, fortunately for me I had the the head teacher wanted to change and she recognized um, what what was needed and what I need what I wanted to do and she supported me all along but at the same time I also had to remember that as associate staff we worked under different terms and conditions of employment to teaching Mm. staff and it's trying to get that equality between the two so that we are classified as staff and not just associate staff and teaching staff. And the 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 biggest hurdle for me to to get over and to get my others over was our involvement in inset days. When I first started, we weren't involved in any of the inset days. We didn't have to go to them. We, we you know, we were just not required. 
Mm. And I changed that culture because I felt that how could we not be involved with insert days? I know the focus of these days are about teaching and learning. But as associate staff in the school, if you cannot understand what the, the real basis of the school is, that is teaching and learning, I'm not saying you understand the, everything about it and how they deliver it, but you need to understand the journey the teachers are taking so that you too could sometimes in, in some way model your practice and perhaps answer some of the questions that constantly come your way from external bodies, parents, even internally. So if you don't understand what the, the school's journey in teaching and learning you can't answer any of those questions. And also you can't understand, well, how what, I'm, what I am doing fits into that and supports that. Mm. So it has been a long journey. And I think I could, hopefully I, I could say this with some confidence, that I think that for my current team, we are there because we are now all seen as professionals in our own right. And I also allow them to take responsibility for their work. Yes, I do have to line manage them. Yes, I do have to guide them. Yes, I do have to delegate to them. But I allow them to take their journeys, their expertise, and follow through on it, but always with understanding that I am there and any difficulties they may have, they could bring to me and I will help them through it. If they don't understand them, I will talk them through it. But I allow them to take their journeys independently as a professional because that's what they're there for. They're professionals. They're coming as professionals, not as an appendage to me. <laughs> They've come in as their own professionals. So that that has been quite a journey that I have taken on and has run, and it has taken a long time. But the other aspects of, of change that I worked on alongside one of our deputy heads was the change in the mindset of We've got in our school heads of year pastoral leaders. And it was trying to ch change that mindset that pastoral leaders do not always have to be teachers. So we now have pastoral leaders who are associate staff. And the thinking behind it is that pastoral leaders, part of their work, yes, they do have to encourage the children to do their best academically. But part of what they do as well is also giving the children the guidance to become responsible, confident adults. So now we have pastoral leaders who are not teachers. From what you've said, Margaret, it sounds along every step of the way you have challenged the status quo. You have asked the uncomfortable questions and put forward new ways of thinking, even if you were the only one in the room maybe at the time thinking it. 
for anyone listening who's thinking, I know that's my path. I know that I need to do that or do more of that. Maybe they're already on their journey. What piece of advice would you give them? What was the one thing that you did that made the biggest push or the biggest difference? I think the one thing I did that made the biggest difference was really having confidence in what I felt can work and also making sure that you were able to communicate that to others. But putting forward, and and I take the example of pastoral leaders, there was the thinking that they had to be teachers, but the two need to work together. Pastoral leaders and the teachers work together. And the difficulty is that at the time we were experiencing, or or me and my team were experiencing, is that um, our stakeholders, the parents, were finding it difficult to make contact with teachers because, of course, teachers are there to teach. So they're in the classroom. They're not there at the end of a phone um, all the time during the, the, the school day when parents were wanting to make contact. And so part of what we were trying to address and part of the argument that I would put forward is that parents will will have someone to talk to about whatever issues may be arising because the most frustrating thing I found for parents is that they would ring. They can't get through to anyone. They'll ring again and they can't get through to anyone until the situation becomes so explosive that you have them coming up to school angry. And yeah. and so it's about putting forward your case for change, positive, benefit to the school and benefit to its stakeholders. So you have to do some research and you have to be able to put forward a very convincing argument. And when I w- was working on this project, I worked very closely to, we had a pastoral deputy head, and she could see the the benefits of what I was saying, and she was able to support me and say, well, yes, that could, that could work. And when I was putting it forward, we we did it together. We And we, we did go out to a couple of schools at the time as well, and presented it and I think we've got some quite gaping mouths at the time as well mm-hmm. but I've I've seen quite a few associate heads of year in my time through a couple of them were at the school and they were there as teaching assistants and when I when we introduced them there and I said to him why aren't you applying for it they said well, why I can't apply, and I said, "Why not?" And <laughs> I sort mm-hmm. of pushed them into it. And um, one of the first heads of year who had gone through, who I'd pushed through, she retired this summer, <laughs> and um, we still have a laugh about it to this day. So it, it, I just, yes, some of the things that I pushed through, they were quite risky, but. Fortunately for me, it was successful. But equally, you need to take a risk and not to be too afraid of failure. And I, I, I'm just thankful that um, some of the things that I've done 
and the mistakes I've made have not been too huge because we all make mistakes. I make mistakes, but we all hope that they're not great, too, too difficult and cause too much problems. You said there, Margaret, about working with a deputy and talking that through with the deputy. And is that a piece of advice as well? Try and find an ally on the SLT to bounce these ideas off and to put your point across. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always a good idea to have an ally on your SLT. For some time, I was the only um, member of the SLT who was not a teacher. Mm. So I was the only member of associate staff on the SLT. And sometimes it can be very lonely. Sometimes you can feel quite isolated because they focus, of course, which they have to do, the main core work of the school, which is teaching and learning. But very often, I think sometimes what I have found in the SLT is I bring them back down to earth and reality and think bomb. about it. <laughs> yes. And to, uh, as you say, ask those difficult questions about, well, have you thought of this so-and-so? And they'd say, oh, no, not really. So I'm looking, I'm looking at what they're saying as an outsider because I'm not entrenched in the teaching and learning. So I'm asking the questions really as an outsider, which I think is important for them. And equally, when they ask me questions, they're asking me questions for as an outsider as well from my profession. So it, it is important that you, you ba you're bouncing off each other. But when you're, you're trying to present a major piece of change, it is always a good idea to have an ally on that SLT with you. I always say, Margaret, when you're on the SLT or you're sat in an SLT meeting, I think many school business leaders feel, oh, I'm the only one and that's a disadvantage. And I know it can be sometimes or it can feel that way sometimes, but it can be a huge advantage. Like you say, you are the only one who can give that perspective. So give it. Absolutely. It's not so much that it's a disadvantage, it's that it can be lonely. Because yeah. some, of, some, some of the discussions that are taking place and some of the, the apprehensions that are taking, you may have, and you don't always have someone like-minded in your profession to bounce these ideas off of because they, they're not exposed to it. And in a way, that can be quite lonely, which is why getting involved with the SBM group and having other outside sources of information has been such so powerful for me in my career path. Organizations such as the ISBL, ASCO, being on the key, the National Governors Association, all these outside organizations as sources of information has helped me on my journey as school business leader. I need but, to ask you, and I know people listening are going to be thinking, what you've achieved, Margaret, is amazing. And especially at the times that you've achieved it, like you say, you didn't have access to these networks or this support system that we are lucky to have now. But at the time, you talked about changing the name of the staff from support staff to associate staff. You changed how the office was referenced. You 
got involved in the newsletter, you know, all of those things that you did. How did you do it? And I mean, what what do you think was the key in terms of you didn't have all of those people or ideas to to bounce off other people, like you say, like-minded people? How did you do it? That's a very good question, Laura. And I'm not sure I'm able to answer it because I often reflect on how did I do it? I have no idea. I just got on and did it. I did read an awful lot about education and schools, Mm. how they operate, why they operate like this. I've read books about parents' um, feelings about schools, how they look at their children's education. And I've also taken good practice from business, not just the business of in education, but industry. Mm. Because some of the practices that are followed through in industry or or, or I have bought into the school. I I have used them and changed them to fit the environment in which that I was I was working. So I have read a lot. I have researched a lot. I've talked to a lot of of different people. And I've taken those ideas and used them and implemented them. But the one important thing that I have always focused on is that the team I was working with, that they they weren't taking for granted. And they were communicated with every step of the way. And I think that is important. When you're making such big changes, you've got to take your people with you. And I'm not saying they're going to like everything. And I'm not going to say that all their suggestions that they put forward are going to be taken on board. But you have to carry them with you. You have to take them with you. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think fortunately for me, I had a team that was ready for change, wanted to be viewed as professionals. They wanted to develop. What I'm hearing is from what you've just said is that you, how you did it, or the answer to that question is you weren't just doing it, like I say, for the sake of doing it or because it was the new thing to do or a nice thing to do. You were passionately advocating for your profession and for your team to drive that through and sometimes I always say this if you can operate from the courage of your conviction that can be enough to drive things forward that's right I I didn't I didn't at at the time I had I wasn't thinking well I want to do this Mm. I all the time was thinking what was in the best interest of the school and the what children. is the right thing to do? Yes. That's yeah. right. And always keeping at the forefront the children. And perhaps subconsciously for me, that was goes back to my own experience of education and how I hated it. <laughs> and I always say to colleagues when when they're going about going on about or the children of this, the children of that. And I always say to them, that key word is they are children. 
we're, we're not teachers in the classroom, but we're all teachers because the children yeah. learn from us as well. How you greet a child in reception, how you greet a child at the door, whether you say good morning, good afternoon, hold the door open for them, don't hold the door open for them, respond to them if they let the door fly in your face. All, all those things, you are there teaching them, guiding them. You know, you may sometimes say it very sarcastically, well, thank you for holding the door or something like that. <laughs> but but we are all there teaching the children that come we we come into contact with in some shape or form. But we're also teaching each other. Mm. Um I learn from my colleagues, my colleagues learn from me. There is never a period of time when you are not learning from each other or externally. You just have to keep your mind very open. But having said that, you also have to, I'm also very much aware that not everyone wants a career. Some people just want to come into work, do a good job, and then go home. But you also remember you have to support those so that they continue to do a good job and then be able to go home. So you, 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 you're giving the training, you're making them avail, um, training available to them so that they can deliver a better job at, within the confines of what they are responsible for. And if they want to go further, you also have to be there to encourage them and support them as well through professional development, through performance management. And that's something that I also worked on, bringing all our associate staff on board so that we also have professional management meet, line management meetings with our line manager. We also have professional development meetings with our line manager. Unfortunately, it's not always it's not linked to pay. But if mm. you've got a colleague who wants to progress in their career, how else are you going to address it but through their professional development conversation? And as a school we are committed into supporting professional development. The important thing, and all my professional development, I have to say, I have um, financed some of it myself, but some of it has also been financed by the school. And some of it also was offered free. The important thing is to make sure that once these opportunities arise, that you're ready to jump and I often say to young colleagues that come into school, always remember that whilst you have young children, your children will grow up. And you need to make sure that within your time, you're able to take advantage of those training opportunities. So when you are ready to jump in your career, you have all the tools you need to do that. The other thing I, I also did is I also made sure that any new colleagues come and join the union. And I know people may think, why do you do that, Margaret? Uh, unions have an important part to play, I feel, within a school environment. They're not all there banging their heads against the wall, placards and whatnot. But I think all of us as 
individuals as employees sometimes need the support to make sure that we're not blindsided. And when you're going through a period of change within schools and you're consulting on change, you need to make sure that your colleagues do have an avenue to go down if they want to ask questions that are independent of you. And so I always encourage them to make sure they join a union. Some have, some haven't. That's their own personal um, choices. But I always make sure that they are aware that they can do that. I could talk for hours and hours and hours about my 30-year journey um, to the position I'm in now as Director of Business Operations. I haven't touched very much about on my role Um, I am still clerk to the governing body and I have been clerking the governing body for um, about 28 years now. I started also as a a governor at my own children's school and that gave me a huge insight into the workings of governing bodies and what was needed. And so when I started clerking for the governing body, the school I am at, I started off very slowly because I was going into unknown territory. So I started off um, just doing one meeting with the clerk, with the current clerk that was leaving. And before I took it on, I thought, hmm, need to think about this. So I I did it as a, as a sideline, as an honorarium before I took it on as a full rule. It has been very, very useful in my career path. It's a lot of work, but it has been really beneficial. I I have learned so much about education from being clerked to the governing body. Now, I know some of the, one of the questions that have probably come up is, how could you be clerked to the governing body, but also be the school business manager? Mm. Fortunately for me, I have always been able to balance the jobs that I'm doing and divorce myself from one job to do another. When I, up until I think two years, a year ago, we had a bursar at the school and she did all the finances. So I did not get involved with the budget, which is one of the main aspects of what the the core business of the governing body. So I didn't have that difficulty of separating myself from the budget. She did the budget. Now that I am director of business operations, I have a finance manager and she does the budget and I will ask her the, the difficult questions or the probing questions. But she does the reports and she does the finances. And so I'm still able to divorce myself from it. And the other areas of being clerk to the governing body, for instance, when I have to clerk an exclusion or a staff disciplinary or whatever the case may be, again, after so many years, I'm able to divorce myself from the situation and and go into role. And it's interesting that I often wonder, how come, how come staff don't ask me questions or anything? And I was told, 
<laughs> Margaret, we we know we can't ask you questions because we know you won't tell us, so we don't bother <laughs> to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I, all oh, right, okay. I didn't, re- I hadn't realized that that's the reputation that I had, I had in place. You know, they don't come up and ask me anything because they know I'll say I can't tell you, <laughs> and that's it. But no, it it has been an interesting journey for me, and it it's not. It, I won't say it has been an easy journey. There are times when I think. Do I really want to do do this? Can I do this anymore? But now that I'm 30 years later and there are new things, there are new journeys to be had, there are new changes to be made, and I'm not sure, do I, ha- do I have the same stamina? I'm willing to have a go at it, but I think it needs a lot of stamina. So what would you say, Margaret, for... Let's focus on aspiring school business leaders first. What advice have you got for those listening who are thinking of joining the profession or they're in the process of their studies? What would you say to them? I would say to them, do not think that your past experience or your or the area the the areas that you were involved with have no significance because you bring with you transferable skills to your profession and those transferable skills are really really important as you move on now in all my career fortunately for me I've always had a I don't know I seem to have always had a very good mentor in whatever job I was doing even insurance which I hated I absolutely hated working insurance god that was torture but even there I had a really good mentor I don't know if there are any colleagues here who remember things like carbon paper and manual typewriters but he was so pedantic that you couldn't present a letter with an rubbing out or anything and you had to do it all over again so even from him I learned the importance of attention to detail so every single step of the way I had a good mentor my journey in education from from a professional side of qualifications I didn't have a lot of the opportunities that our young people have today to go to university to do study this, study that. I didn't have those opportunities. But I am how I learn. I learn on the job. So I suppose this is what they call apprenticeships now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a hands-on learner. I cannot, I find it very difficult to learn from theory and practice you know, do do all the theory and and then come and try and do to practice. I have to do the practice alongside the theory. I can't I, I can't do one in isolation of the other for some and it it's just maybe it's the way my my brain works, I don't know. But I I did there's some co- training courses that I've done. I I did shorthand. 
and I still use my shorthand today, and I I can do um, verbatim notes. You wow. know, taking shorthand at hundred and twenty words a minute. <laughs> um, I still use it today. It's a dying profession, but it that you know I I find it useful and and it's interesting because the children at school say to me, Miss, why are you writing in hieroglyphics? <laughs> and I say to them, it's shorthand, and you know, I go on and I explain to them the concept of it about the the, the vowels and the sound and the above the line and below the line and over the line and the dots and the diphthongs and so, and they find it very interesting, and it, it's a skill that's dying um, with all the technology that is taking over. But even with the technology, I remember the first computers with the huge, big, floppy disks that came in and the journey that I've had learning technology. So my, so my, my, my professional qualifications to where I am has been quite, um, quite interesting, I would think. I was going to say, spanning 30 years, Margaret, you must have seen a lot. And also, I imagine you've probably seen things come back around again. I have. <laughs> I, I, I think I've seen things come back around a couple of times now, <laughs> but, but, but it, that's fine, you know. Um, and each time it's it's fine tuned. And even today, I'm thinking I'm seeing things coming in from September. And I'm thinking, oh, we've done that before. All right, we're fine tuned. You know, it things change, mm. people change, um, cohorts change, new ideas come in. They go and. One thing I always say is don't be averse to new ideas and don't think that it's because you've always done it like this that you will always continue to do it like that. No, that doesn't work. You have to change. Things change. And you have to be able to move on with change. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind. And not only are you going to be left behind, but your working life is going to become very difficult if you're not open to change. But in, with change, you also need to communicate how you're feeling, why you're feeling like that, how, what you can do to make it better. And try and explain to others, well, we've done this before. This is what went wrong. That's what went wrong. That's what, that what went work well. So that you're working together all the time to make those changes more positive for the future. I often say to my, to my grandson, um, Granny doesn't have white hair um, naturally, you know. It didn't come cheap, so um, <laughs> and it doesn't, and it didn't come, and it didn't come out of a bottle. So, uh, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> with age comes wisdom, but it's important that all that knowledge and understanding that I have gathered over the years, it's of no use to me if I'm not able to share it with others mm. who could use it and also put it put put it into practice. Otherwise it's just just taking up space in my brain. And I've got too much stuff in my brain. Sometimes I need to empty it. <laughs> um, so so I, I I've done various things. I've done the the 
the NVQ leadership and management training. I've done the diploma in administration management. I did the school business managers course, and I was part of the first cohort that, that did it. I've done training on exclusions and exclusions appeals. Um, I've done managing the media, safer recruitment, first aid at work, change management. I mean, the list just goes on. And <clears throat> when you asked me to do this podcast and I looked back at what I have done over the years, to be honest, I don't know how I did it. Um, because the list goes on and on. And I've done the clerking development course twice. <laughs> Nothing's changed in it, but I've done it twice because I thought, well, maybe there's something's changed, so I better try and do it again. So I've done it again, you know. And then data protection came in. I did some training on data protection. There's always an opportunity there to learn something new, and to challenge yourself. I always need a challenge. Otherwise, I get bored. <laughs> I think mm. you know, my my challenge going into September is COVID-19 and, and the double testing that we're doing. So that's a challenge for me going with the opening up in September. We all need a challenge. But I I I I do think that it is important to know what you want why you want it, how we are going to get there, but keep in the back of your mind that, that you're not going to go from A to B in one full swoop. You might have mm. to go A plus 1, A minus, A plus 2, A minus 1, before you get to where you're going, because you are going to have setbacks, and there are going to be obstacles in your way. And you are going to need to find ways to overcome those obstacles if you want to get to where you're going. And also make good use of the organizations out there where you could gather knowledge, experience, discussions from, you know, I said I'm a member of the Institute of Leadership and Management and have been for very many years and through that organization, that's where I get some of my insights from what's happening in an industry. And I try and customize um, some of the good practice into my own profession, into my own delivery of leadership and management. So it's just not solely what education, education, education. And it's not just solely within the local authority that I work in. I do go outside as well, nationally, to see what's happening out there. So keep an open mind is, is always a good way forward. Know what you want and how you're going to get there. I could, I could talk about my journey forever and ever and ever, Laura, um, but I don't want to bore you anymore. <laughs> you are not boring me, Margaret. I find it so interesting and admirable and inspiring what you have achieved. I really do. But of course, you know, I have made my mistakes. I have got things wrong. I always say, if you make a mistake, just own up to it. Put your hand up. Because 
Not all mistakes are failures. Sometimes you have to make mistakes to learn. The important thing is to learn from those mistakes. Because if you never learn from your mistakes, the chances are you will make the mistake again. So learn from the mistakes. And challenge yourself. Challenge yourself every step of the way. And ask that question, that question, why? is so mm -hmm. powerful. Why am I doing it? Why do I want to do it? Why, why, why? That's the most powerful question you could ask of yourself. And there's also one little word that as school business managers, we must also remember to use from time to time. And it's just a two-letter word. It's the hardest word to say sometimes. But that word is no. Sometimes you have to say no. It's not just saying the word, it's how you say it. You can say no very gently. You can say it roughly. <laughs> But it's an important word to say no. You can say colourfully as well, can't you, Margaret? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, you can do. But when you're, when you're using those colorful teams i i would suggest that you you're not too public with it <laughs> but <laughs> we're not using them on the podcast we've agreed didn't we margaret no swear words today <laughs> absolutely absolutely but it's it's a little word that we often find very difficult to say but we need to learn to say it and those that we line manage they too also sometimes find that word no hard to say. And you as this, their line manager will need to be able to support them in saying no and for them to know when they say no that you will always have their back. You may have to coerce them to say yes <laughs> eventually, <laughs> <laughs> but th that yes will come through discussions. Having said all this, some may be thinking, oh, well, you, you ask so much of your team to do this, do that, do the other. One thing that I do keep my eye on as being on the senior leadership team, and for those of you who are on senior leadership teams will know that they will come up with fantastic ideas to implement for somebody else to implement, um, mm -hmm. some of which will have a huge administrative impact on the team. And sometimes you as that lone voice on the senior management team will be saying, how is this going to be delivered? What support are the administration team going to get to deliver it? Have you thought about this? <laughs> mm -hmm. And you are that voice. You are that voice for members, just not of the administration team, but also all associate staff or support staff working in your school to highlight some of the impact of the ideas that may be coming through or being an under discussion will have on that those members of the team. Don't be afraid to voice them. You might get listened to, you might not, but... 
the important thing is when you're carrying your team or, or, or colleagues with you, they need to know that you, you've got their back as well. Mm. They've got your back and you've got their back. <laughs> so <laughs> you're looking after each other. Um, so I, I, some people ask me sometimes, how do you know if you get, if you get it right? I <laughs> said, so, well, sometimes I know, sometimes I don't know. If you get no criticism or if you don't get any comeback, then maybe you've got it right. But sometimes you also get that acknowledgement publicly. Uh, um, I'm not really one for standing. I, I, I don't like to stand out, let's put it this way. And I think a lot of school business managers are like that. We We, we just do it. We don't, ex mm -hmm. we don't expect any acknowledgement, we just do it. And over the years, I've had quite a lot of um, colleagues that come through um, the school who've gone on to leadership roles. Through They've come through the future, um, future leaders path. And when they first arrive, they're very keen. And they all want to make their impact, which I understand. And sometimes I think, oh, my God, I'm, I'm such an ogre, you know, because <laughs> I, would just say, I would just say, no, you can't do that. And they'd look at me bright, bright eyes and think, well, why? Who do you think you are? Um, and the, the thing is, I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. And when they move on, I've had some really lovely cards from them saying, than thanking me for guiding them through the quagmire. So that's how sometimes I know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm probably getting it right some of the time. Not all of the time, but some of the time. But I'm passionate about what I do. What would you like to leave our listeners with, Margaret? What piece of advice or motivation would you like to share with them just before we finish? I think the one piece advice... I would like to give to them is never give up. Never, ever give up. And there's one thing that I say to colleagues, when you get thrown lemons, make some juice. <laughs> so don't give up. And there's a little tune my grandson always sings, which I'll share with colleagues, in, and it's, it's good to be me. And remember that it's good to be you. And you will get mm. things right, you will get things wrong. Be confident in yourself. Being perfect is hard. Try and get possibly good. <laughs> being perfect good is good hard. enough. <laughs> yeah, being perfect is hard work. All right. We just want to be good and do. If we get very good or excellent, we're okay. Being perfect is hard work. Just take one day at a time and do not always expect to be able to do everything. I, and look after yourself. I say to my colleagues sometimes, go home 
at the end of the day. And they say, oh, I just have to finish this. I just have to finish this. And I'll say to them, you're coming in tomorrow and that will still be there. Yeah. There isn't a deadline. Okay. It will still be there tomorrow. You finish it and go home. I do encourage them to have their lunch breaks. I encourage them to leave on time. But they also know that there are times when I will say, can you stay behind and do something? And it's a give and take. You give and they will give back to you. Be flexible, be kind, be gentle, be empathic with your your colleagues that you, you may manage. Life is not easy out there for them either. So be aware of that. And don't let your own professional development lapse. That's one other bit of advice that I will offer to um, colleagues who are currently in the professional and also aspiring colleagues. Don't let your own professional development lapse. And join these school, these school business managers groups. I've come into it so late, Laura, so late. <laughs> I've done all this. <laughs> and it's only been um, in the last couple of years that I've come on to all this. It's been fantastic. I'm so glad that you have come onto the podcast today. Well, I hope I've been able to share some of what I've experienced and share with colleagues some of the various things I've done. And I hope it has inspired them to continue on their journey and to be passionate about what they're doing and be committed to it because it is quite a rewarding job. And the the best, it, it, it's a job where you could actually see the outcome of your labor and that's mm. for, for me in secondary school, that's on the exam results day. Um, and I do like going in on exam results day. Unfortunately, this day I couldn't go in because, because you know, Laura, I've had, I've had a, a, yeah. a bit of an accident. So it, it was unfortunate that I wasn't able to go in to see the youngsters get their results and be excited with them. But it is one of the one of the the areas that you can see the outcome of your labour, because it's not just the teachers who have had that input of their journey; it's also all associate staff working in schools. I feel so privileged, Margaret, that you have shared your journey with me today and with those that are listening. I know you have definitely been inspiring. You have shown such courage and such passion about the profession. If people want to get in touch with you, Margaret, where can they find you? Well, there's the thing, um, Laura. I'm not on Twitter. I am on your your Facebook um, page. I am also mm -hmm. on link, LinkedIn. And, you know, they could contact me through there. And also, Laura, you've got my email address if you want to share it with any colleagues who might be interested. So that that's how... I can be contacted. Thank you, Margaret. I will make sure that your LinkedIn details are in the show notes. And if anyone is not on LinkedIn or they just want to contact me, I will pass your details on to Margaret and you can get in touch that way as well. Thank you so much, Margaret, for being a guest on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. 
it's been really good to to do this and to share my journey with with um, other school business managers and leaders. Um, and I wish them all the best on aspiring business managers and those are in the role at the moment on their continued journey. I always enjoy talking to Margaret and I'm so glad that she agreed to be on the podcast and share her wisdom with you today. She is a true advocate of the profession and her colleagues and she has had a remarkable SBL journey. I hope she has inspired you as much as she inspires me. If you've got any questions or you'd like to continue the conversation about anything you've heard in today's episode, you can find Margaret's details and mine in the show notes on my website at www.ljbusinessofeducation.co.uk. If you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device and you like what you've heard, please rate and review the show as it makes it easier for others to find it. You can rate and review the show by selecting the show in Apple Podcast app, scrolling to the bottom and either tapping the stars to rate and or selecting write a review. This show is available in all of the podcast directories. Just make sure you hit the subscribe button in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.